Welcome to Reading Genesis. My name is Stephen Longclaw. I'm a priest serving in the Anglican Church in North America and also a United States Navy chaplain. Join me as we discover the sacramental and enchanted world of the Bible through Reading Genesis together. We are in Genesis 40 tonight. Genesis chapter 40. Go ahead and turn there. And let us begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us tonight as we open our books, as we open our Bibles to the book of Genesis. We pray that uh, you would have, that your word would have its way with us, that you would be honored and glorified and we would be edified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, remember where we left off last week? Genesis 39. Last week we looked at Genesis 38 and 39. We read the curious story of Judah and Tamar, and that was contrasted with the faithful story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Remember, Potiphar wanted to uh, advance upon Joseph. She wanted to throw herself at Joseph, and he, being a righteous man, did not succumb to her advances. So he ran out of the house, leaving his coat behind, and then she tells everyone that this Hebrew man, Joseph, tried to force himself upon her, which was not what happened at all. So Potiphar threw Joseph into prison. And that's where we left Joseph. So we begin today in Genesis chapter 40. Joseph is in prison. And that's where we start. Are there any questions or anything, holdover questions from last week? Anything like that? All right, chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. So we have two men introduced, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker and they both serve right under pharaoh they both serve pharaoh now who are these men so the chief baker would have been the man who is in charge of baking all the all the goodies for pharaoh uh which would also imply that he has some oversight over some of the grain production in the land as well the chief cupbearer uh is a curious position. So a, a cupbearer at this time would make sure none of the food was poisoned that was served to Pharaoh. So he would go in before Pharaoh receives his meal. He would sample some of the food, make sure the, the wine is is uh, not poisoned, the food's not poisoned. Of course, if you want to kill Pharaoh, if you want to assassinate Pharaoh, poison his food. That's an easy way to get to him. So his job was to ensure that the food was clean food and that there was no assassination attempts on Pharaoh's life through his food. He also had a special place in, in Pharaoh's council where he would stand by as the cupbearer, meaning he would basically hold Pharaoh's cup of wine and uh, uh, stand at his right hand uh, while Pharaoh uh, dined with his guests. So he, he had a, a high-privileged place. We're not told what they did. They both did something to infuriate the Pharaoh, and they find themselves in prison now. Verse 5. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison. 
each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So they asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Let's pause there. Joseph has a history of interpreting dreams already, doesn't he? If we remember a few chapters back in, in uh, chapter 37, Joseph had two dreams. What were those dreams? You guys remember what the dreams were? His first dream was he was, uh, they were gathering wheat out in the field and his bundle of, uh, all of his brother's bundle of wheat bowed down to his bundle of wheat. The second dream had to do with stars. He had a dream where uh, 11, excuse me, 12, 12 stars and the moon bowed down to his star. That represents the 11 stars of his brother, uh, his father being the 12th, and, and of course, uh, uh, Rachel, his mother, being, being the last one. Yeah, behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. That's uh, Genesis 37, verse 9. So there's this idea that people in Joseph's family are eventually going to pay Joseph great respect. They're going to bow down. They're going to serve Joseph. Those are the dreams that the Lord gave Joseph years ago years ago. So Joseph has a uh, some experience with dreams. But notice what he says, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell please tell them to me. Joseph's interpretation of these dreams doesn't come from his skill in psychology or whatever, right? He's not looking at, at different practices on how dream and he, he doesn't if you go into his office in his library, he doesn't have a section on how to interpret dreams of books on his shelf, right? That's not it at all. He is able to discern the word of the Lord, though, and he listens to what God says. And what God tells him to say, that's what he says. So he says, the interpretation of your dreams belong to God, so tell them to me. Verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Pause there. So this dream that the cupbearer has is related to his own job, isn't it? As the cupbearer, he was in charge of the wine. He was in charge of the grapes. He would have made sure that the wine that Pharaoh received was, first of all, not poisoned, of course, because <laughs> that's part of his job. But secondly, that it would have been very good, high-quality wine. So he would have overseen that, that whole process, ensuring that Pharaoh got the best wine. So the dream is that he reached out and took grapes from, uh, from some blossoms and crushed those grapes into Pharaoh's cup. He is serving Pharaoh again. And the interpretation is that in three days, he will be restored to his former office. But Joseph asks the cupbearer, when this happens to you, 
remember me. Joseph says, I'm not supposed to be here. I have not done anything unjust. I have not broken the law. I find myself here as uh, as the injustice that has been done to me. It's through, uh, it's through other people's injustice that, that I am here. I am innocent, so please remember me when you go before Pharaoh. Perhaps Pharaoh may have mercy on me and lift me out of this pit that I'm in. But he doesn't remember, as we'll see. Verse 16. When the... When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days, and three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. As we see, this is this dream also has to do with his former office as the baker, right? So he's got all these baked goods and he's carrying them to Pharaoh. But birds begin and eat the goods from the three baskets. So the three baskets are three days. and three days, you're going to be executed by Pharaoh. Actually says, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. Verse 20, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Everything that the Lord has revealed to Joseph has come to pass. The cupbearer is restored to his former job, his former duties serving the cup to Pharaoh. The baker has been executed exactly like Joseph said it would happen. Remember, this is not Joseph's personal interpretation of dreams. This is what God revealed to him because God knows all things. Uh, the fancy theological term to, to, for that is God is omniscient. O-M-N-I-S-C-I-E-N-T, um, omniscience, omniscient. He knows all things, all things past, present, and future. God actually exists outside of our timeline, right? So he's able to be ever-present in our timeline and know what's going to happen before it ever happens. So the fact that Joseph is able to interpret this dream is uh, and interpret it rightly is a testimony to God's all-knowing power, to God's omniscience. Unfortunately, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. But we're going to return to the chief cupbearer in the next chapter. So chapter 41, beginning in verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. So we'll pause here. Now Pharaoh's going to have a dream. And we see this is two years later. I, I like the way the Bible says it. It doesn't just say two years later. It really wants us to feel the, the, the length of those two years. After two whole years. So Joseph is still, the, uh, still working in this jail. He's still a prisoner in this jail. Two years later. So Pharaoh dreams a dream. He's standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed grass. Pause. Egypt is located right near the Nile. 
And the Nile is the greatest uh, river in, in the world. Um, it would flood regularly every year. And so the land of Egypt, being right there near the Nile, was well watered. It was a great place to grow stuff. The, the soil there was just excellent. You had the Nile right there to water it. It was very fertile land. We need to know that to understand the dream Pharaoh is about to have. All right, so Pharaoh dreams that seven cows attractive and plump come out of the Nile and they feed on the reed grass. Verse three, and behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other, cloud, other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted, by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Pause now. Okay. So Pharaoh has two dreams, and they, there's a lot of similarities between the two dreams. So the first dream, you have seven plump, healthy cows are eaten by seven ugly, thin cows. So the ugly, thin cows overtake the plump cows. In the second dream, you have seven healthy ears of grain, plump and good, growing on a stalk, and then seven other, seven other, Ears of grain blighted by the east wind come up and swallow the original good seven ears of grain. So there's these sevens. There's the idea of the 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 ugly and the unhealthy is overcoming the good and the healthy in both dreams. So Pharaoh's naturally troubled by both of these dreams, right? He calls the people whom he calls. He calls his magicians and all the wise men. Now, who are these magicians and all these wise men? These would likely be his advisors. These would be the, the, the people that when you have questions, you, you call these people. And what, what do they do? They are pagans. You got to remember, Egyptians are pagans. So they do have power. They practice magic. What is magic? But it is power derived from the worship of pagan gods. So who are pagan gods? From a Christian perspective, who are, who are pagan gods? Paul tells us in the New Testament that all the gods of the nations are demons. All the gods of the nations are demons. So it's not that these magicians worship false gods, and by false gods, we mean that they don't exist, or they're not real. Rather, they are pagans that worship false gods, and by false gods we mean not the Most High God because they're actually worshiping demons. Okay? So the magicians, I say all that to say, the magicians actually have power. They derive their power from their demonic occult practice that was prevalent throughout Egypt and prevalent throughout all the cultures. Unfortunately, or rather, fortunately, in our case, as we'll see, <laughs> these, uh, these magicians don't have the power to interpret this dream. This dream is given by God, and God has not revealed the interpretation of the dream to the demonic forces. Therefore, the demons can't reveal the interpretation of the dream to the magicians, 
And therefore, the magicians can't tell Pharaoh what the dream means. You see what's going on here? All right, so we'll see what happens in verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Pause there. So this is, this is a repentance on, this, on, the, on the part of the cupbearer. The cupbearer says, I screwed up. I did something wrong. I was supposed to talk to Pharaoh about that Hebrew guy. He doesn't even remember his name. That Hebrew that I was in prison with that, that interpreted my dream and interpreted the baker's dream. And the way he interpreted it happened exactly like he said it would. And now I realize that I have, that I have, done, that I have done something wrong. And I need to make this right. So he tells Pharaoh about this Hebrew. Maybe this guy can interpret your dream. He interpreted mine and it was 100% accurate. He interpreted the baker and it was 100% accurate even to the point of the baker's death like, like he had foreseen. Verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Now the shaving and changing, that's what you would do to see Pharaoh. The Egyptians culturally did not uh, have beards. So, so the men didn't grow beards uh, like other cultures would. So, so you think that's why the brothers uh, didn't, know, didn't know him, couldn't I? Yeah, so later we'll see that when, his, when Joseph's brothers come to Egypt, they don't recognize him, right? Because in Hebrew culture, the, 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 they're not called Jews yet, but the Israelites would have grown beards as a, a sign of their masculinity, the sign of their, their manhood, their manliness. We Men have beards. Uh, Egyptians uh, preferred clean-shaven men at this time, and they also had little, uh, different things that they would paint their faces with. Uh, so when they come to see Joseph later, Joseph looks like an Egyptian. <laughs> they, they are not going to recognize him, but that's, that's future spoilers. We're, we're not there yet. So what Joseph does to present himself well to Pharaoh, he shaves himself, Right? He's probably got a big scraggly beard because he's been in prison for two years. He shaves himself, or more than two years actually, shaves himself, gets a good bath, new robe, and goes to present himself to Pharaoh. Verse 15, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And notice Joseph's humility here. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I don't have a special skill, Pharaoh. If, if an interpretation comes at all, it's going to be because God gave the interpretation, right? The Most High God, Yahweh, the God who made heaven and earth, he's the one who's going to interpret your dream. Verse 17, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. 
I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Now, we'll see, Joseph explains it to him. Why? Because God is going to speak to Joseph and reveal the dream. Because God is the one who gave the dream in the first place. God is omnipotent and he's going to speak to Joseph. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities. And let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. God speaks to Joseph, and he reveals exactly what's going to happen. The two dreams are actually one dream. There's going to be seven bad years, or excuse me, seven really good years, followed by seven really horrible years of famine. And I love what he says. The, the, the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed in verse 32, which is to say, your dreams are two witnesses. And, and the law that will be given under Moses later, uh, you prove everything by at least two witnesses. So these are the two witnesses. But, but both of Pharaoh's dreams are the two witnesses that, uh, that, this is, that this is certainly going to happen and that it is God who is going to bring this about. <laughs> and then we see in verse 33, and, and I, I love this, Joseph starts giving advice already on how to, to meet this problem. This, this shows the wisdom of Joseph, the God-given wisdom that Joseph has. Joseph hasn't been put in charge of any projects, mind you. He's still a slave, and he says, so this is what's going to happen. Here's the interpretation of the dream. Now here's what you should do, Pharaoh. He's already advising the Pharaoh, and he says, Put a fifth of everything aside, right? For the seven good years, take one fifth, put it aside in the storehouses, and that will be your reserve for, for, when, the, for when the bad stuff happens. Take overseers, set them up over everything. That's what I would do, right? This is Joseph. If, if I were the Pharaoh, I might do it this way. <laughs> you could do whatever you want to, Pharaoh. Verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zephinath Peneah, And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Stop there. So what just happened? <laughs> A lot of things just happened. Joseph's life, Joseph's life just took a 180. How did Joseph's life start out a couple chapters ago? He had a couple dreams with his brothers. His brothers hated him for the dreams. He also had this coat of many colors that his dad gave him. His brothers were jealous of the coat of many colors. So they throw him in a pit. They want to leave him for dead. Then they decide, no, you know what? Let's, let's sell him into slavery. That's better. So they sell him into slavery. He's taken as a slave into Egypt, but he does very well for himself in Potiphar's house. He is made the first over everything in Potiphar's house, only under Potiphar. What happens? Potiphar's wife takes interest. Potiphar's wife says, hmm, that Hebrew man, he's got a great smile, a nice grin, beautiful brown eyes. It's a handsome face. We know that Joseph is a handsome man. And uh, Potiphar's wife takes interest in him. She, tr she petitions him several times. He refuses every time because he is a holy man. He is a righteous man. He serves God. And he knows that he can't go committing sexual immorality with his boss's wife. Unfortunately, Potiphar's wife throws herself at him, demanding that, she, that he lie with her. And he runs out of the room, leaving his, his coat behind. Because of that, Potiphar's wife flips the script, says that, oh, Joseph tried to rape me. Look, I have his jacket here. He's a horrible person. Get rid of him. We talked uh, about the implications of that last week, so I won't go into it. But what this does is it lands him into prison now, where he was the second in command only under, uh, of Potiphar's household, only under Potiphar. He is now put in prison. He is now in the pit again. What happens to him in prison? He excels above everyone else because God is with him. He is put in charge of everything in the prison, only under the, the head jailer, the head prison guard there. These two bakers, uh, this baker and this cupbearer, these two men of Pharaoh come in and they have these dreams. He interprets these dreams for him. The dreams happen exactly like he said. He tells the cupbearer, remember me when you're with Pharaoh again. I shouldn't be here. I'm, I'm here because of injustice. Two years go by because the cupbearer completely forgets. Now he's brought before Pharaoh of all people. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream. Now remember, when he woke up this morning, <laughs> he woke up in jail. He woke up a prisoner. He woke up as a convicted rapist. 
No, he wasn't a rapist, right? This, that was an injustice. He woke up as, as a man who is hated by his brothers. He has nothing. But he goes before Pharaoh. God is faithful. God gives Joseph the interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams. He interprets them for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh recognizes in Joseph the spirit of God. I find that really fascinating that Pharaoh actually in verse 38 recognizes the spirit of God. You can see the capital S for spirit. So that doesn't necessarily mean that, that Pharaoh is converting to Joseph's faith, though I have heard some theologians try to make that argument. And perhaps that is what's going on. Perhaps there is sort of a conversion experience here. Um, I'm not 100% convinced, though that's not a hill that I'm willing to die on, but Pharaoh does recognize something supernatural about Joseph's God in Joseph. And he says, this is the man who can get us through the next 14 years. This is the man who's going to get us through seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. So, so Pharaoh promotes him to be second in command of everything in Egypt with the exception of Pharaoh. He says, only to the throne will, 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 will you be second in command. I am on the throne. You take care of everything. Quite a 180 for him. Now think about Joseph's life. I'm sure every day, if Joseph is anything like me, let me put it that way. If Joseph is anything like me, he would have likely been crying out to God every day saying, Lord, deliver me from this pit. Deliver me from this pit. You, where are you in all of this? All right. We read the Psalms. And one of the things I love about the Psalms is it is it, it really deals with every single human emotion that you can think through, right? And the, there's joyous psalms. There's psalms that sort of almost at times questioning God's goodness. Like, Lord, you said X. <laughs> you said that you would be faithful to me. And it doesn't seem like you are. But by the end of the psalm, the psalmist is like, okay, I know that you're faithful. All right, I'm going to keep following you. You know, like this is Joseph's life, right? Where is God in all this? But God, but he remains faithful. He remains loyal to God in all this. And what we see is God has been working the whole time. But Joseph hasn't seen it. Joseph doesn't have the, the, uh, the hindsight of being able to look back on his life at this point. And that's oftentimes what happens with us, isn't it? In the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our chaos, it's easy for us to get frustrated and go, man, where is God in all this? The truth is God's right there working in all of this. We just don't have the hindsight to see that yet. <laughs> we'll see that later. And I, I like to think as we, as we mature and grow older, we'll look, we look back on our life and we could see God's holy fingerprints all over our life, guiding and directing us and keeping us on the straight path. So this is what happens to Joseph. He is second in command. He now runs the land of Egypt. He is married off to, uh, his name is changed. He's married off to uh, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. And Joseph is now in control of everything. Now, Joseph is going to, as we'll learn later, Joseph is, is going to completely integrate culturally with the Egyptians. As we see, he married an Egyptian woman. He has an Egyptian name now. That doesn't mean that he forsakes God. He doesn't forsake Yahweh God. He still worships Yahweh God. But culturally and socially, he integrates with all the land of Egypt. Is she a pagan? No, the people of Egypt. Is she a pagan? Okay, so is Joseph's wife a pagan? That is a great question. And this is something that theologians 
wrestle with. What's the deal that he marries the priest of On? I have heard it one of two ways, and both ways sound great to me. <laughs> so I'll let you decide. One, uh, that there is a conversion happening here. Uh, and when Joseph marries this this woman, that, that perhaps she sees the... This, this is an argument from silence. We can't actually say that this is absolutely what's going on. Uh, that that eventually she does come around. She does convert to, to speak anachronistically, she converts to Joseph's Christianity. Even though, of course, Christ hasn't come yet, so we can't really call him a Christian. But she converts to Joseph's God, and she starts worshiping Joseph's God. Um, alternatively, and this is the view I tend to take, is that she likely remains an Egyptian pagan, and Joseph, this is part of Joseph fully integrating into the culture. Joseph continues worshiping Yahweh, but Joseph, as to obey Pharaoh and the, obey the authority put over him, he decides, yes, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll marry this woman. That's fine. I can marry this woman. We can have children together. We can raise a family together, etc. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, we're not exactly sure the the uh the details and the uh yeah we're, we're, we're not sure of the details of of their marriage because we don't hear much from her moving forward we know we know that he has a couple of kids by her but uh that's that's all we know so verse 46 joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of pharaoh king of egypt and joseph went out from the presence of pharaoh and went through all the land of egypt during the seven plentiful years the earth produced abundantly and he gathered up all the food of those seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt. And he put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. So this is like very good seven years, so much that he's that he's taking extra and storing it away. And eventually gets to the point where he's like, my gosh, we have so much, I can't even measure the extra food, the extra grain that, that we have. Verse 50, before the, year of famine, <clears throat> excuse me, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. So Manasseh uh, literally means making to forget. Okay, so that's, that's what... This is a tribute to God's faithfulness to him to lift him up to have this great, uh, this great duty, this great job, so to speak, this great vocation in Egypt, serving Pharaoh and being in charge of everything. Verse 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Ephraim means to make fruitful. By the way, as an aside, down the road, as we continue through the, the history of Israel, as you continue reading your Bible, you'll sometimes hear of the half-tribe of Manasseh or the half-tribe of Ephraim. And if you remember, there are 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes are the 12 sons of Israel or Jacob. Joseph is never mentioned as a tribe. Rather, it is his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, that are mentioned as Joseph's tribe. But because Joseph has two sons, that's half a tribe. So you'll, you'll sometimes see the half-tribe of Manasseh or the half-tribe of Ephraim. When you see those, yet they trace their lineage back to Joseph as their, as their uh, patriarchal father. 
Verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all lands, but all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So Pharaoh's honoring his word. Hey, Joseph's the one in charge. Go talk to Joseph. He's, he's got this all figured out. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. So this isn't just a localized famine. This famine suggests that, or the way the, the Bible words it, it suggests that this famine is far and wide covering all the land. So all the peoples of the earth are coming to Egypt because they hear there is bread in Egypt, which means there is life in Egypt. You know, if you need to be saved physically from your hunger, go to Egypt, talk to Joseph. So we learn from this there, Joseph is, excuse me, Joseph is a Christ-like figure. He is foreshadowing what Jesus does for all the world, right? All nation, every nation, tribe, and tongue comes to Jesus, bow downs before Jesus, and uh, is saved by faith, by grace through faith in, in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And at this time, people are being physically saved from their hunger, from this famine, by coming and bowing down to Joseph, and he is feeding them bread. What does Jesus feed us? He feeds us bread in the Holy Communion meal. So there's a lot of parallels there. Uh, he, he himself, he calls himself the bread of life, Jesus does, right? I am the bread of life. All right, some other takeaways from this. When I was reading this <laughs> this week, what struck me is once Joseph rises to power, we have to remember whatever he says goes. Pharaoh's not going to question Joseph. I mean, unless Joseph really says something ridiculous, Pharaoh pretty much seems like, Whatever Joseph says, that's that's it. So just do what Joseph says. That gives Joseph a lot of power in Egypt. I could see someone else, uh, someone with a lesser holiness than Joseph, someone who is not nearly as righteous as Joseph, if, if he or she were in the same position as Joseph now finds himself in, to go back through his life and say, hmm, who are all the people that have wronged me? You know what? I think me and my cronies and my Egyptian uh, soldiers need to go make a trip down to Potiphar's house. I think we need to remind Potiphar uh, who he had in his midst and uh, possibly even take Potiphar's wife away and throw her in prison or execute her for the lie that she told against him. This could be ret retributive justice, right? Vengeance. Joseph has power to do this. He absolutely has power to do it. And Pharaoh wouldn't bat an eye. That's fine, yeah. Joseph, you do whatever you gotta do. You're taking care of the land. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta squash some enemies along the way that you make, that's fine. Yeah, we get that. We're pagans, this is what we do, <laughs> right? Joseph could have found that cupbearer and said, hey, remember me? Remember after I interpreted your dreams and you forgot about me for two years? I just, I just wanna remind you that I'm now your boss. All right? You better shape up. Right? Joseph doesn't do any of this. 
Joseph doesn't do any of this. He uses his power not for vengeance. He doesn't use this power given to him by God so that he can lord it over others. He uses this power to serve others. And he is serving Pharaoh and serving the people of Egypt. That's exactly what Jesus tells us to do. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we love God and our neighbors? We love them through serving them. Serving them, right? And that is what Joseph is doing here. He is serving the land of Egypt, not seeking to lord his power over the Egyptians. We'll end it there for the night. Are there any thoughts, questions, ideas? Okay. Yeah. So as we'll learn as we continue on the next couple chapters, we're, we're actually coming close to the end of Genesis. There are 50 chapters in the book of Genesis, and I believe I just closed my Bible, so I have to look it up again. We are we just finished chapter 42. We finished chapter 41. So chapter 42. We remember the famine is all over the world, which means the famine is hitting Israel. And Jacob, or Israel is Jacob, right? Jacob and his family and his little brothers, or his older brothers, he's, he was a little brother, all of his older brothers that threw him in the pit, just like everyone else in the world comes to Joseph and says, hey, we need food. Guess who's going to show up? Saying, hey, we need some food. And this is all according to God's plan, right? So we're going to see this story continue to develop into chapter 42 and, and throughout the rest of the book. So. He does. He gives them a little bit of a hard time. And we'll learn what we'll learn is well, yeah, we'll talk about that when we get there. So, <laughs> all right. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this time to come together and study your word from the book of Genesis. We pray that you would strengthen us this week to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors as ourselves. We ask that you would keep us safe on our way home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me in Reading Genesis. If you'd like to contact me, I'm available at reading.genesis.podcast at gmail.com. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.